right, let's get started. Welcome back to Talk Talk. I'm your host, Ellie Osen, and I'm here today with Mr. Hoy, literature, and uh, Mr. Shear, theater teacher. And um, of course, I'm always teaching visual arts in TOK. And we're here today to discuss essay title, this year's essay title one, is subjectivity overly celebrated in the arts, but unfairly condemned in history? Ah. <laughs> I think I, I'm going to just put it out there. I think this might be my favorite title. Maybe. Maybe it drew, first one. It drew well, me in. Yeah. Uh, I, th I think because there's implied uh, bias, uh, which gets my back up and I want to kind of fight against it. So I just uh, get emotionally. And of course, here we are talking about subjectivity and my emotions are on fire already. <laughs> As the one of the RT mm -hmm. people. Yeah. What about you? Um, one of the things I, I think I like about it is that it's directing students or the people who write the essays to towards um, questioning some of the things that we take for granted, right? So we take for granted that in the arts, subjectivity is a good thing. We take for granted that subjectivity in history is a bad thing. Uh, and it's very easy to write a, an essay um, which just reinforces those very perhaps superficial or sort of first uh, sets of opinions that we come to and I like the fact that this question is saying okay well but how true is that right you know we know that we usually think subjectivity is very important in the arts but is it um, do we celebrate subjectivity too much and it's going to push people push kids towards exploring that in a little bit more depth and hopefully therefore coming up with a more sophisticated or nuanced answer because one of the things that's going to make an answer to this good I think is like well look here are the ways in which actually we want the opposite of subjectivity in the arts and here are the ways in which subjectivity can play a positive role in history, right? Yeah. Um, and so I, I, that's one of the things I like about it, actually. I think it's going to push students towards a more a more considered, more thoughtful, more subtle, more nuanced answer. I like it for a similar reason, I think, uh, both of you, actually. It's that because we're arts teachers, um, one of the common, I don't know if you have your pet peeves, but that's my, my pet peeve, is when you hear kids say, everything is subjective, you know, arts are all subjective. They mean whatever you want. That that's sort of like just, it, and I say it in such an annoying voice because it annoys me. And I think actually, there are certain objective measures we can use when we're looking at arts and we're discussing the arts. Uh, and I think I would probably struggle with this title because I get super caught up with talking about subjectivity in the arts. I might forget about mm. unfairly condemned in history. Yes, uh, I agree with you. I probably get swept away. So I think that is something to think about too. I guess what we could do to begin with is maybe unpack some of those words. So I think we've got we've got to talk about subjectivity. What do we mean by that? And I think also perhaps contrastingly, the objectivity and those opposing roles they might play within the arts and history. Maybe we start and, with that. And because they're set up as binary opposites, and they probably are objective, yeah. subjective. Um, but, uh, and there's, if you're objective, that makes you better. Mm. Uh, there's there's that implied bias there. Sure. You're, you're more logical, you are more convincing. You are, if you're objective, if you're subjective, you're, you're overly emotional, and that's not a good thing. But yeah. you're allowed to be in arts because we're self-indulgent <laughs> and selfish and unaware of the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, I, and I, I think that I, it's not so much that art's all subjective, but it's all art is all about emotion, which which I find frustrating mm -hmm. as a teacher because clearly it's not. It's not right. like artists either. You know, either whether you're producing it or you're responding to art, you don't just you're not just an emotional wreck who's just kind of emoting onto with a it, canvas with, on a stage. We're there to create it, yeah. but that doesn't mean you have to yeah. be it. But also, that undermines the the role of the arts in their other ways and other roles, mm -hmm. like that don't have anything to do with emotion. Yeah. And it, it kind of puts it, it pigeonholes it yeah. in a way that I think is just... But I like this point that you're making about, I mean, so you're, you're a, you're a mm. theatre practitioner, you're an actor, right? And I like the idea that you you won't be there to create it, but you don't have to feel it. And in fact, actually, if you're feeling angry, you might be able to act angry a little less well, right? Mm. And that the best angry acting might come from someone who isn't feeling that feeling because they can think about what it should look like on stage or what it should be like on stage. And that's the importance of a director then yeah. who could, so the actor might be in that state and the, but the director could guide them mm. around into um, a more subjective awareness yeah. of and more control. So this subjectivity, what, how do we want to define that as a, as a term that we're using here? Need to grab a, a dictionary for me. Yeah. <laughs> my, get the... my sense is that maybe start with the contrast, right? Objectivity is there's something kind of like real, open to common agreement among people, um, and sort of like grounded in the world outside of the knower, right? You know, mm -hmm. this table is objective here. It really is. If I'm not in the room, if none of us are here, if none of us had existed, this table would still be here, right? And there are some truths about this table which exist independently of us. That would be an objective, right? Mm -hmm how I feel about this table. Like, I love this table. This is my favorite table, right? It's you know, that, that's the subjective yeah. part, right? And that's grounded in my own mm -hmm. consciousness, like in my head or wherever, right? Mm -hmm. In my mind. Um, and we would expect differences of opinion, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we can measure this table, which would be objective, and it would be roughly a meter by roughly a meter and a half or whatever it is, and we'd expect agreement on it. But we could ask three different people around the table, do you love this table? Mm -hmm. And we'd be quite happy with three different answers. So I think there's that, that those are, those yeah. are, those it's are about how debating the color of the table and how important that is. The fact that yeah, I mean, it's gray to my eyes. Yeah. And is that a good neutral color or would someone feel that green or red so and it's, it's better. and it's the feeling, right, that makes it subjective. But there's an objective yeah. element, which is there's a wavelength of this of light that this table is bouncing off, right, and that that's absolutely true. Mm, that's a specific wavelength, mm -hmm. no matter what you like or not. Yeah. So there's the quality. It's the subjectivity according to Oxford language. The the mm -hmm. quality of being based on or influenced by personal feelings, mm. tastes, or opinions. Mm. Exactly what you're saying. Mm. Um, also, the quality of existing in someone's mind rather than the ex external world. Mm -hmm. So yeah. the, the objectivity is really just simply the opposite of that. So it's not influenced by personal feelings or opinions. So they are binary uh, in, in the sense that one mm -hmm. is the opposite of the other. But what's but, interesting about... But, sorry, go on. Sorry, the, there's interesting contrasts uh, in the way my, my mind is flying around this subject that would it be true to come up with a hypothesis and test it that in arts, subjectivity is great in the first part of the of the creative cycle. Mm -hmm. It's good to be able to draw on feelings and we, we create mood boards after all in yeah. all of the, in, in probably music and visual arts definitely, definitely in theatre, just been doing it with grade seven. Mm -hmm. It's all about the feelings and drawing on what creates the feelings. But then as you go further in the process, you need to become more ob objective. You need to step aside, look, look at it, get some different viewpoints on it. And you're talking about from the role of a practitioner. So then there's also like the role of subjectivity in uh, in different, you know, for different parts of, of the arts. So like for the audience versus the critic versus 
um, versus the creator themselves. Yes, definitely. And then um, looking at history um, is, I'm sure, subject. It would be very interesting to find out where has subjectivity been useful mm -hmm. in history. Um, if you're thinking of history as a bit of a, you're a bit of a detective. You're looking at clues from the past. Uh, somewhere along the line, that drawing together of clues, uh, testing a hunch, a subjective hunch, might be incredibly important to find, making a discovery that then you can test further and actually find out is probable, if not true. Uh, Maybe before we let's stick with arts and then explore that, and then we can talk about history perhaps actually, because I, I think I mean what I like about what you said in terms of the first part of the creative cycle, um, the subjectivity does play a big role there. I think that's really nice, and that's heading towards a good TOK answer because one of the mistakes I find that students make is that they treat arts as this one thing, right? And yes, arts are very different. We've got visual arts, we've got theatre, we've got music, etc. But even within theatre or visual arts, there are these different stages, and so subjectivity may play a more or less significant role in various different stages. And I can see that at that, that moment of inspiration, for example, right, um, in that first part where you're you're responding to something, emotion might play this really sorry subjectivity might play this really big role. Emotion might too, right? Um, and that would that would be quite different to you know because you also mentioned the director, the director who's later directing this piece of work, who's really got to think in a sort of um, not necessarily subjective way about how best to stage the play, right? How best to get the actors to convey these ideas um, to to the audience, right? And to respond to them. So I think, I think what I like about what you were saying there is, you know, there are these moments in the process that are different to one another and subjectivity might pay a really big role, right? And, you know, be deservedly celebrated here, but actually not be anywhere near as important in this other part, right? And, you know, and, and reflection is also not necessarily an emotional moment. As a theatre practitioner, you should be reflecting all the time. Did I convey this well, right? And that's actually a really logical process. And, and you know, what you want to be doing is thinking about, well, did I get this idea across to the, to the audience? If I didn't, how can I do it better? And that's a much more sort of objective um, part of the cycle. Yeah? It's really hard not to jump onto examples. Immediately my mind is just searching out, you know, I'm thinking uh, immersive theatre, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, once again, the creative cycle earlier on, there's this, there was this amazing show in uh, Sydney. Uh, they basically suspended an iceberg above the Sydney Opera House, had a, a couple of dancers on there. The iceberg obviously is melting, mm -hmm. and that's the whole point. Mm -hmm. I think it's called Melt. Mm -hmm. Uh, so all the safety precautions, all the, all of those logistics involved in that, you cannot feel you cannot get in, engaged in feelings. It's too yeah. lives depend on this. Yeah. Um, so how that so that would be a really interesting example, for example. And then the discovery of Richard II's body mm -hmm. and all the all the hunches, all the biases, yeah. all the things that came to play before that could actually happen is a rich yeah. example. And I, I mean, I, I, I like also what you said about, you know, there are these certain objective moments, right? I mean, you picked out one objective moment in the, in the, in the melt iceberg, right? You've got to have all of these safety precautions. But there's also really objective moments where we're thinking about, okay, well, we know that, that, that climate change is real and, and how are we going to convey this idea to, to the audience, right? So there's a lot of planning. Forget about the safety stuff, which definitely does need to be logical and, and objective and, and non-emotional. But, but even in terms of choosing the idea, understanding the science, understanding the issue, 
you, right? You've got to you've got to not necessarily be subjective in in your in the logic of well, why would we have a melting iceberg? Why would that convey this idea about you know human induced climate change and the impact we're having on the world? I think the, I agree with the first half of the statement that it's overly celebrated in the arts, and I think absolutely it plays a role. Subjectivity is important. Of course, personal opinion and experiences and feelings are extremely important in the arts. But when it becomes the central focus, then it removes kind of like the onus of um, actually understanding at a deeper level or digging on the side of the audience, right? Or um, the job of the artist to like, really choose the best imagery or the best metaphor to convey the idea. So if, if everything goes, kind of, because everything in the arts is subjective, and, and in some ways I feel that there's been a lot of that in, in contemporary art circles where you have, like, everything counts um, versus now we want to have some kind of, like, standards and we want to actually look at, like, the we want to say that there are objective measures for deciding if something is actually worth continually sharing around the world. There's, there's, a, I could think of a lot of examples of artwork that I just don't think need to continue to exist. <laughs> ah, but maybe because they exist is a good reason that they do. And that's kind of why you have this argument that it is. Could you give us an example? <laughs> oh, well, actually, a very, very, very recent one I, I read about was, and I'm, I'll have to look up later title of the art show but it was um maybe an indicator that we have gone a bit far with celebrating subjectivity of art or like that anything goes kind of uh was a an artist who set up this whole entire show sent the whole thing uh to the show to the gallery to have it displayed had done all the work to get it in and it was only blank canvases like legitimately actually just raw blank canvases mm -hmm. Uh, I think it was, I can't remember, the, the title of the show was something like, this show is fake, or something like that, like, mm -hmm. poking fun at the fun that's already being had within the art world, um, undermining, it, like, mm -hmm. centuries, or... Uh, like, a visual, like a visual like a John Cage and music. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> but uh, worse than a visual John Cage, because at least John Cage was there at the piano, <laughs> <laughs> and didn't count and turn the page. And that was also new. Whereas this is just kind of taking the piss, isn't it? It's like, yeah. here, let me just... But that's the idea, me. right? I mean, the, the, that's intentional and it's that playfulness and it's that that forcing you to reflect on the nature of art. Yeah, I mean, I think okay. that's... I, I, feel like, I feel like the cans of artists, like, breath, for example. There's an artist yeah. breath. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. And also the banana on the wall, like yeah. last year, that one. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one was called the comedian. But but but, Ceci, but notice this is not necessarily subjective, right? Because actually, in order for these pieces of whether or not we think they're good, right? In order for them to work, right? We have to understand the logic and the reasoning behind mm -hmm. them, right? Um, so we are moving. Away. I mean, they, mm -hmm. they're actually quite clever, right? You need to. There's there's a whole logic that you need to understand around modern art for it to make sense, you know, in in the way that looking at uh you know a still life which might be more stylistically uh skillfully painted right you, you don't need that much to understand it right because we all know what an apple and a pear look like but there's the argument because that over celebration if we agree that 
it's overly celebrated. That's the road that we go and mm -hmm. we continue and we lose any, uh, you know, if, if anyone is an artist and AI art now as well, like we just mm -hmm. count it all. Great. Okay. Great. But I think my, my, my point... What so, happens to the craft? Though? Yeah. Well, so two things. I think my point number one is is I'm not saying... I don't necessarily think that, that that kind of art is an example of subjectivity, right? Because I think there's a lot of reason and logic no, that I goes don't into either. it, right? But what I am saying there is not that those are examples of subjectivity in art. I'm saying that's the over-celebration. Yeah. That's but, where we see evidence yeah. of or it having been over-celebrated. But I also think, you know, and as a, and a literature teacher, this gets me all the time, right? It's clearly not the case that anything goes. Mm. Right. Uh, and, and one of the things that, I, you know, I say to, to the kids in my class, you know, you, you interpret this book and there's some flexibility. There's a broad range of or, you know, maybe it's a narrow range, but there's a range of opinions that are sensible opinions, which one can hold about this text. Mm. But if you read Romeo and Juliet, it's not about climate change. Right. It isn't about climate change. It's about these two star-crossed lovers. And if you don't get that at some point, you have misunderstood the text. So, you know, I, I think I think it isn't the case that anything goes, right? Um, and to to tie it back to the title, right? There are actually sort of reasonably objective measures of whether or not an interpretation is good. And that whole process of analysis where we kind of identify what we think is going on in the text and find evidence to support that. I mean, even the words we use, like finding evidence, making points, justifying our claims, all of those things push us out of subjectivity into the realms of objectivity. And, and that's where, you know, I think we find other examples in the arts of moments when, yes, inspiration, fine, is a very subjective um, uh, point. We want actually there also to be a subjective response in our audience, but we also want our, our kind of a critical audience to be capable of non-subjective responses as they unpack and analyze it. And as an art student, you need to be non-subjective, right? Because that's how you do analysis, right? Analysis is not a subjective process. So if we, for a moment, because we're, mm -hmm. as, I, as I anticipated, yeah. <laughs> really carried away with the arts, do we agree that these personal opinions and feelings are unfairly condemned in history? And, and what what role would they have if, mm -hmm. if they did, if it was unfair to condemn them? Once again, the, there's so many biases implied in this subject, in the, the bias that history is truth and what is history. Mm -hmm. uh, so we need to kind of understand that a little bit more and looking at the cases where um, around the world where countries choose what their history is and choose what will go into that history and what will not. We don't want to admit to this or that, so therefore it didn't happen. Uh, and then, so what is history? Is it someone's opinion? That would be a good reason for condemning subjectivity within history because we would want history to be un unbiased, right? We would want, in, in, in theory, we would want it to be not just told by the victors and we would want like a full picture presented in yes. history. And then that's, I think, the unfair condemnation. Uh, so the question is then, where, where, where is there a positive oh, role for subjectivity? For I think at least a couple of places, right? Yeah. Like, so, you know, you want people to be objective for sure about the facts, right? And, you know, certain things did happen on certain dates. Certain terrible events right. resulted in many deaths. And that's where we went objectivity. And that's definitely true, you know? If you're in Putin's Russia and you're rewriting the history of the relationship between Russia and Ukraine to suit the, the person who's currently in charge, that's not okay. That's not objective because certain facts exist about the relationship between these two countries, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I think at least two places where in history subjectivity does play a good role. The first one is, is you know, as a historian, to understand, and one of the things you're going to want to do is understand why people behave the way they did, why they made the decisions they did, you're going to need to empathize with them, mm -hmm. right? If I was in your situation, right? 
what would I have done? How can I use that to help me understand why you did what you did, right? If you are, if you are a historian trying to understand why the British government appeased Hitler in, in sort of the 1930s, you need to understand how much they feared another world war, how much they wanted to avoid that terrible thing happening again. And you can only really sort of understand appeasement in a rational, logical way if you've got an element of empathy and subjectivity and you can put yourself into the shoes of those people and see, well, look, this is why they made those decisions. Right. So I think that's one role for subjectivity, mm -hmm. right? You know, being able to put yourself into someone else's shoes. Yeah, I right? think that that's just the same as like the historical imagination. Yeah. The ability exactly. of the historian to yeah. imagine themselves in that place. And I think that's a really important yeah. role of subjectivity. And that happened in that Richard the Second uh, investigations mm -hmm. that a, uh, I think she was a banker or a financial. Mm -hmm. She joined us at Richard the Second Society and she just started to build. She had suspicions of saying that his body will never be found. Mm -hmm. And she thought, well, why not? Mm -hmm. And found out that it wasn't... Uh, under a car park. Somewhere. In a car park, yeah. a shopping centre. Yeah. yeah, But so, and the victors had written, the, had rewritten history and never accepted him as a king, mm -hmm. a legitimate king. And now he's been kind of brought back into the pantheon of kings of England uh, through that investigation. It was her suspicions and that so, then had to be proved. Yeah. And so, you know, I guess the question is, are they subjective or are they objective? But they certainly feel a bit subjective, like hunches and suspicions, right? Mm -hmm. You know, there might be these kind of emotional, in your head, can't quite put your finger on it elements to it. I think another another way in which, though, um, subjectivity can play a significant role in history and in areas like the sciences, actually, is in our choice of what we investigate, right? Curation. Uh, Essentially. To make a connection to arts. What we choose to so investigate. It's, it's, it's essentially you're choosing, you're curating as a historian. What are yeah. valuable, worthy of investigation? Quite, yeah, okay, so. Yes, yeah, so what's trending now in history? Not necessarily <laughs> trending, but all, maybe, but also just like, you know, just this personal interest. Where does your personal interest lie as a historian? Well, so, yeah, I mean, fundamentally, when you make any choice, right, and as a scientist, it's true, you, you know, there's an yeah. infinite variety of things that you could investigate, an infinite number yeah. of periods of history, groups of people, places in the world, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but we don't investigate all of them. There's an infinite number of scientific problems we could investigate. And to stray out of history, you know, we spend millions, billions of dollars investigating whether or not there's life on another planet. Mm -hmm which in many ways is pointless, right? We'll never be able to communicate with them. By the time our messages get there, we'll be dead or they're already dead. And, and the same is true the other way around. But we think it's important to spend millions and billions of dollars on it. Why? Because we want to know if we're alone, right? Uh, and, and maybe there are other reasons as well. But, but that's a value judgment. Like this is more important than this. And we're going to spend our time, our money, our effort, our energy, our resources on this. And that's subjective, right? It's also the power of fear. I mean, look at... Look also, at Look at what that's brought. I mean, uh, the Oppenheimer. Uh, sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, part of history, also part of science. Sure. The power of fear, and we have to get there first. Because if we don't, then blah, 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 blah. And maybe that's also with the planets. Like, we better know if they're out there, because <laughs> if, we, if we don't, we don't want to be taken by surprise, right? Yeah. But then the same is true in history, right? We're choosing to investigate Richard II. Why is that important, right? I mean, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not, it but for someone it was, right? And that's a subjective decision, yeah. right? You know, why weigh that up? I think by the amount of vehement rejection of mm -hmm. Richard as a character sure. by Shakespeare sure. himself, and yeah. then... 
And, and why do so many IB schools study World War, you know, the interwar years, World War One, World War Two, right? Well, because they're making a judgment, not necessarily an invalid one, right, but very much a subjective one, that this is a really important part of history, perhaps because we don't want those terrible things to happen again and history to repeat itself or or whatever, right? Um, but but right, I think that's a kind of a key place for subjectivity to play a really important role because you can't investigate any everything, so you've got to choose, and that process of choice. Mm -hmm is a subjective one. Once again, that, that hypothesis that it occurs earlier in whatever cycle you're in in history, sure. in the investigation cycle of yeah. history, if they use that term, yeah. in the creative cycle, happens earlier on, perhaps. Yeah, although the empathy might happen later during the yeah. investigative True. process, right? Yes. So going back to what we we're saying at the start, I think good answers to this are going to say, well, like, what are the different bits of art? What are the different bits of history? Where might subjectivity play a really good role? Where might it play a celebrated role? Where might it play a condemned role? Where might that be too much? Where might it be unfair? Yeah. Yeah. A good answer needs definitely needs to address both parts. Mm -hmm. Well, really all parts. Mm -hmm. The overly celebrated, unfairly condemned, and then both a good exploration of arts and history equally. Yeah. There's a lot of like nice connections between the arts and history that we've just kind of unpacked a little, or at least pointed at. Well, look at how much arts reflect history. Mm. And then uh, the history reflects arts. <laughs> well, and to think about just the two things I picked out, you know, you're making choice as an artist as well, mm -hmm. right? You could put on an infinite variety of plays, but mm -hmm. you're not going to. You're going to put on or write this particular play mm -hmm. about this topic. Why are you going to choose that? There's a subjective value judgment there, right? And empathy, you know, if you're going to understand how someone's going to respond to this thing that you're doing on stage, you, you, you want to be able to empathize with them. I think that interpretation is a really important concept in both arts and history where subjectivity is going to play a role and i think generally we think about condemning subjectivity in an interpretive interpretation in history mm -hmm. as you know the danger that it might go uh people manipulate the facts or people manipulate the the story the, the way it's told the narrative um but i think i think that's also like one of those kind of cliche ways that we think about history because mm. any good historian isn't gonna write something that is clearly an open yeah, sure. you know bias on purpose they're they're all trying i would hope that that's their aim is to you know to to present what they can do as objectively as possible but um the idea that there's no room for subjectivity that their opinion wouldn't matter i think is unfair I think that is unfair. And I think it also connects to, like, what is history? Because it isn't just a collection of facts, yeah. right? No. That's not what historians do. Historians are trying to understand how those facts connect together in this sort of causal way, right? How one event led to another, why people did certain things or didn't do certain things. And as soon as you get into that, right, explanations of why history turned out the way that it is, subjectivity right, either on the part of the historian or as the historian tries to understand the subjectivity of the people they're investigating becomes inevitable. Yeah, so in a sense, you would have no history if there was no subjectivity. Because you just have a list. You just have the past, Yeah, which is not history. Yeah. So we close this out. Thank you guys very much. <laughs> cool. Thank you. That, Thank you. that was great. Awesome.